Welcome to the Minor League Sports Town Podcast with your host, Tony. Hey everyone, happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays, happy new year. Uh, it's, it's been a minute getting all these out of the way because uh, this is the first uh, podcast that we have released uh, since late October, believe it or not. So we had the, the first three episodes that came out uh, pretty pretty quickly uh, together and then, um, you know, I guess life just got a little bit busy. Uh, and it's been a while uh, since uh, we, we last recorded one of these uh, podcast episodes, but appreciate you all uh, coming back to check out the um, podcast and want to just give a little special shout out uh, to Stephen Newman, uh, one of uh, the fans of the show. Uh, Stephen and I follow each other on, on Twitter and, uh, you know, he reached out just to ask if we were going to be doing any more episodes, uh, you know, any going to be releasing anything anytime soon um, and, you know, Part of that is the reason why I want to to make sure I did this. Been on my mind to to record uh, the next episode for a little while, but um, you know, just appreciate um, you know Stephen's feedback that he listens to the episode or listens to the podcast. Was excited for the next episode, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there are others out there that also listen and just appreciate you all uh, tuning in um, and and you know hope to continue bringing you uh, good content. Uh, a little bit more regularly than just once every few months uh, like we had with this little hiatus. But we are back, and uh, not only are we back, but there's there's plenty to talk about. For today's episode, we're titling it Welcome to 2022, even though we're almost in February now. Uh, but, you know, a few things have changed. Of course, uh, MLB, uh, we're going to be talking about the lockout that's happening, but a couple moves that the Nationals did make, um, you know, either before or even during the lockout we want to talk uh talk about uh Washington football team their season ended give a little bit of a recap of the season talk about a couple other things with them and then the uh Wizards season and the Capitol season are in full throttle right now talk about how those are going uh, and you know ultimately where we see these teams ending up at the end of their respective seasons uh, so we just want to get started on uh, talking about the Nationals. So of course, the MLB is in a lockout right now that uh, started late last year. Uh, there's a freeze on all kind of uh, 40-man roster um, you know, additions or any kind of signings, anything like that, any kind of trades that might happen. All of that is frozen. There can be uh, minor league um, you know, contracts that are signed, and we have seen some of those uh, take place. And they did just have the um, the IFA, the International Free Agent uh, signing period, uh, that just happened on January fifteenth. We'll talk about the um, the Nationals uh, prospect that they were able to sign um, for for that period. So, uh, but yeah, so the lockout's in full full swing right now. Not sure when an end is coming. Uh, there has been a little bit more movement throughout January, with at least uh, some, you know, meetings between the um, the players' association and the owners uh, to try to find some common ground. Doesn't seem like anything's uh, imminent as far as deals that are coming through, but uh, we're hoping that they get something done soon because we are entering into February. And uh, it's going to start cutting into spring training and 
might start missing some spring training games. If they wait too long, though, it could delay the start of the MLB season, which I think would be um, would be really bad for MLB, for for MLB uh, and just baseball in general with just the fans and trying to get new fans in. You just don't want to make them wait for games. Uh, you want to try to grow the game, uh, get more people excited, and a uh, way to not do that is to um, start have a delay to your season and miss some games. Uh, so there's definitely a few different um, items to to go through between the owners and the player association, some demands. Uh, they're a little bit far apart on a couple issues. So we'll have to see when the season does officially kick off, but uh, you know, baseball can't get here soon enough. Uh, luckily for the nationals, you know, they are a rebuilding team and the minor league uh, season will be unaffected by this current lockout. It's just for the MLB teams. So, um, you know, if there's anything to get excited about, uh, right now, it might be that, you know, you still be able to see players like Cade Cavalli uh, pitch in Rochester. Um, you know, other uh, prospects have made it through throughout the ranks, uh, be able to kind of follow along with their progress, which is a lot of what the Nationals focus is right now. Not as much on the MLB team. Of course, you're going to watch the games, get excited about the players that we have. Everybody wants to watch Juan Soto um, and a couple of the other new faces that we have on the team. Uh, but... At least we also have these highly touted prospects uh, that are going to be keys uh, to the future uh, and near future of this franchise uh, that will still be playing baseball. So at least we'll have something if there is a delay to the season uh, to keep our attention during baseball season. Uh, so we'll see what happens with MLB lockout. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, or actually before the lockout happened, uh, the Nationals were pretty quiet. Um, for free agent period, uh, you know, there were some teams that definitely were very active, uh, with the big signings. We saw a lot of money getting thrown around, especially when you're talking about players like Max Scherzer, who signed a very lucrative three-year deal with the New York Mets. A lot of money was being uh, thrown around, but the Nationals, and not just the Nationals, um, but they were one of the teams that were kind of waiting for maybe, you know, Free agency might look a little bit different, um, you know, after this new CBA is signed between um, the Players Association and the owners. Uh, so they're kind of a little bit of a wait and see mo um, mode. Don't expect the Nationals to make too many big moves anyway during the uh, offseason, even after this lockout is ended. Um, I, I think maybe the biggest move that they make, um, I've been thinking about this for a while, but I think maybe Zach Greinke. Uh, gets signed in a move that kind of similar to John Lester getting signed last year. Uh, an older pitcher coming off of a subpar year, uh, you know, just kind of give him one shot, one-year deal, uh, and then, you know, somebody that you can hopefully flip at the trade deadline to get more prospects and booster uh, your farm system a little bit more. So that would be a move that maybe we could see. Maybe they do something to address left field. I'm not sure if they're just going to do that or if they're going to, you know, maybe go with a mix of Lane Thomas and uh, Yadiel Hernandez in left field. Uh, but that's probably the one opening as far as position player goes uh, where I could see them uh, maybe adding uh, a player uh, in there. Otherwise, I think the, the fielding and the, the players and position players are, are pretty much set uh, with who they have on the roster uh, for, you know, 
for this rebuilding time or retooling time uh, for the Nationals on there. Uh, so, But they did make one move, uh, and that move was to sign Cesar Hernandez, who Nationals fans will uh, know mostly for his time with the Philadelphia Phillies organization. Uh, you know, he played second base for them over there, and then last year uh, played for the Chicago White Sox for a time. Didn't have a great season um, with them, but... He, you know, he, he's a player that uh, could add value. Um, you know, it's a one-year deal, so a player that could get flipped at the deadline. Uh, you know, four more prospects like we were talking about with potentially Granky signing. Um, the only curious part of this move, because everything else about it is, you know, is what I would expect from the Nationals this year. Uh, a cheaper contract on a one-year deal uh, for a player that's, you know, not part of your long-term solutions, but will be um, a stopgap. The only, the only issue or the only thing that makes me scratch my head about this deal is that he's mostly a second baseman, uh, where I thought they would maybe look at an option like Jose Iglesias, uh, to play at shortstop because even though um, they re-signed Alcides Escobar, um, Alcides Escobar is an older player. I don't think he was going to be your shortstop for 162 games, maybe a platoon situation. So I thought they might bring somebody in uh, like a um, Jose Iglesias who could split time uh, with Escobar at shortstop and give you another option. But with the money that was signed, and it wasn't a huge deal. I think it was around $4 million. Um, for Cesar Hernandez, but definitely more than what Alcides Escobar is making. What that would kind of tell me is that maybe they're planning on on playing Cesar Hernandez at second base and then shifting Luis Garcia back to shortstop, which is more his natural position or at least the position that he played um, coming up through the national system, but then shifted over to second base when there was a need at second base after Starlin Castro was hurt. Um, so he kind of shifted over to that area there. Um, he was never great defensively at shortstop. So I thought that maybe the the positioning of Luis Garcia would have changed where he was no longer considered a shortstop, just like Carter Keyboom came up and was initially shortstop and then was moved to third base, and that's now his new home. I kind of thought the same thing would happen with Luis Garcia, but... I don't think that they brought or that they signed Cesar Hernandez to replace Luis Garcia on the roster and send Garcia down to AAA for him to to play down there. Garcia played really well at AAA. It makes a lot of sense, especially in the current state of the Nationals, for Luis Garcia to get as much playing time with the Nationals as he can get this season. So you kind of have two players occupying that second base position now. So I'm wondering if Luis Garcia um, actually is more of your everyday shortstop now with Cesar Hernandez playing second base, Carter Keeboom playing third base, and then utilizing um, Alcides Escobar as kind of your, your main platoon guy or your, uh, you know, your utility guy to back up positions uh, or, you know, if, if he needs to end up playing shortstop and then Luis Garcia can play um, second base to spell Cesar Hernandez or maybe Cesar Hernandez could move over to third base if Carter Keeboom continues to struggle and play that position, much like uh, the situation they had with Starlin Castro, who was signed to be the second baseman but then ended up shifting over to third base um, when Carter 
starter Keeboom really struggled in spring training and kind of became the everyday third baseman uh, over there. So there's a couple different things uh, how this could play out, a couple different ways this could play out uh, with the positioning of the players. I do think that your main infield as a setup right now is, of course, Josh Bell at first base. Uh, but then having Cesar Hernandez be your everyday second baseman, uh, Luis Garcia moving over to shortstop to be your everyday shortstop, and then Carter Keeboom getting probably his final chance to stick around with the Nationals uh, playing third base, and then Alcides Escobar kind of being that super utility player, uh, somebody like what Josh Harrison was signed to originally be uh, before uh, injuries and and performance issues um, kind of forced Josh Bell into an every or sorry Josh Harrison rather uh, into a an everyday role, which ended up paying off uh, dividends for the Nationals because he had such a great year. Um, so we'll just have to see kind of how that shapes out. I'm not in Davy's head. I'm not in Rizzo's head. I don't know exactly um, what their thought process on process is on it, but just from my point of view, that's that's how I could see this thing shaking out. So that was kind of the big signing there. They also did sign um, Machiel Franco, um, third baseman, who, again, also played with the Phillies organization and was last with the um, Baltimore Orioles. Um, they signed him to a minor league deal. They also signed uh, D. Strange Gordon to a minor league deal. So you have a couple infielders, um, you know, to kind of round out the depth in AAA to be called up in case there's uh, any kind of, you know, performance issues, injury issues, what have you. Um, but, it, you know, they definitely wanted to sign Franco, uh, who plays third base, uh, to kind of be there to to have some healthy competition for Carter Keeboom. Uh, that, that third base position is definitely not his. Um, just, you know, it, it's something that he needs to earn. It's not going to be given to him. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that competition goes out. It's a big year for Carter Keeboom. Um, I think this is a make or break uh, year, along with you know possibly like a Victor Robles could be a make or break year for him uh, as well. So the couple players that really need to have uh, big years, those are those are probably the two right there. Carter Keeboom and Victor Robles uh, need to have solid to big years uh, in order to probably stay around with the Nationals organization. If they don't, probably get a fresh start somewhere else. So, so those are kind of the the news on the the major league ball club, but probably not the biggest news of the Nationals offseason so far. The biggest news for the Nationals offseason, uh, and there are a couple other things like I didn't, didn't even think to man- mention, but uh, the Nationals have a new play by play. For the broadcast and Kevin Fransden, uh, very excited for this. He's going to bring a lot of um, a lot of kind of experience to the position because he's already been doing uh, calling baseball games on the radio for the Philadelphia Phillies organization. Of course, uh, Fransden was a Nationals player in my favorite. Washington Nationals team, the 2014 team. Uh, he was part of that team um, and had a memorable <laughs> post uh, post game celebration interview uh, with Dan Colco. Uh, so anyway, it's going to be great to see him. Of course, he's replacing FP Santangelo on the Masson uh, broadcast. We'll, we'll be working alongside Bob Carpenter. So didn't really mean to get into that, but um, congratulations to Kevin. Be 
exciting to see him on the broadcast. I was personally pulling for Denard Span. Would have loved that, but Kevin Franson is a great hire uh, for that. So that's that's some other big news uh, for Nationals fans, especially those that watch the games um, on television. Um, big news for, for us. Um, but that wasn't what I was going to talk about. Probably the biggest... Uh, transaction that's taken place within the Nationals organization uh, comes in the form of 17-year-old phenom Christian Vaquero, um, who was signed during the uh, international uh, free agency period um, on January 15th. Uh, this is a potential five-tool player. Uh, he already, you know, is going to be grown into power. Is already uh, a 60-grade power by uh, MLB Pipeline. Um, can run, a uh, good fielder, uh, going to play center field, has a good arm, has the speed, um, and just uh, a good repeatable swing. So uh, this is definitely a player that is, um, is going to be highly touted uh, as a prospect uh, and one that the Nationals uh, definitely hope and need to try their hardest to make sure that he develops correctly because uh, he could be a big part of the future. They signed him for nearly all of their available um, is spending budget uh, for the IFA uh, he, the the biggest bonus that they've ever ha- um, offered to any player uh, that was Christian Vaquero. So uh, really glad to have him on board. Would be great to see him um, as he progresses. I assume that uh, this next you know, this upcoming season he'll be playing in the Dominican Summer League, uh, and then you know he'll move into um, stateside to to you know start his his career and, um, you know, start his professional career with the nationals, uh, throughout their organization. So very good move for them. Uh, he was rated number, the number two prospect by MLB pipeline. He was rated number one by baseball America. Uh, so he's, uh, you know, he, there's a lot of faith in him. There's a lot of uh, potential in him. It would be great to, uh, it's great to have him as part of the organization and see how he develops. So, uh, that's pretty much it for the nationals news. Um, we'll see when we get national space ball to come at some point, uh, but we'll keep an eye on how the lockout is going. Uh, so next wanted to talk about the Washington football team and their season ended. There was no postseason for the Washington football team. They finished with a record of, um, seven and 10 and their season kind of had three different parts to it. Um, first was the first eight games that they played, they had a two and six record. So it was not good. The defense was absolutely terrible. Uh, and it was a surprise to myself, to many other fans that the defense was so bad because that was supposed to be the calling card of the Washington football team. They were supposed to be a great defense. And then, you know, you sign Rice's Ryan Fitzpatrick to give you a little bit more of a jolt and you know quarterback play, uh, get some big plays. He has a cannon for an arm, uh, but you know it was mostly supposed to be play great defense and do enough offensively to win games. So you might win a lot of slow scoring games, maybe some close games, but that was supposed to be how this team was built and how they were supposed to operate. The defense looked absolutely horrid. Uh, for the first part of the year, they're getting torched, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick, the offensive line, played terribly the first game, and he ends up uh, being out for the whole entire year, which opened up the door for Taylor Heineke to come in and take over the quarterback position uh, for the rest of the year. And um, Heineke had, you know, some ups and downs. Um, there was 
consideration that maybe he would be kind of the future if, if he played well enough. Uh, maybe they wouldn't have to go looking to uh, getting another quarterback uh, in the draft if, if he kind of ended up being that hidden gem uh, that they're hoping for him to be. And we saw flashes of how good he can be, but we also saw um, a lot of other things where um, he kind of, his his lack of dominant skill set um, definitely kind of ended up hurting uh, him in his performance and the team's performance at different areas. Um, so that kind of led to a 2-6 and six start uh, overall. Uh, but then the team did come back. Uh, and they ended up running on four, uh, running off four victories, uh, including one over the defending Super Bowl champions, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they got back into six and six. Uh, so you know, twelve games into the season, you're at a 500 record, and you put yourself in the position to possibly grab a playoff spot. It was still Dallas's division to lose, but you know, get one of those lower seeds, get in the playoffs see what happens. Uh, so you were feeling good about their chances, but unfortunately, after they got to that 6-6 six and six record, uh, they ended up going and uh, losing uh, their next four games to get to a 6-10 and 10 record, ultimately ending uh, their season before playing a game against the very lowly New York Giants um, in, in a victory, which was close for the first half of the game, and then end up running away with it a little bit more. Uh, but that so that leads to a final record of seven and ten, missing out on the playoffs, um, and definitely need to see improvements to the team. I think that with the upcoming draft, quarterback is something that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, Taylor Heineke is with the team. I think he signed a two- or three-year deal. Uh, so he, he's still going to be with the team, but I think he needs to be in a backup role. He's serviceable uh, as you know, as, as a quarterback that needs to, to come into a game or, or start a few games, but uh, they definitely need to look forward um, to the future of uh, that position in Washington, whether it be through the draft or you know, by some other means, um, getting a quarterback, but they, they definitely need to shore up that position, get some clarity, um, and some direction with what they're going to be, be doing with the quarterback position, uh, going forward. But, you know, I respect, um, Taylor Heineke, but it's just, he's not, he's not the guy to, to lead this franchise. And, um, you know, it wasn't a bad season to, to kind of know for sure. Um, you know, and would have loved to have seen what Ryan Fitzpatrick could have done for this team, but I'm also not convinced it would have been a whole lot different um, considering that, you know, Heineke's more mobile than Fitzpatrick and the offensive line was kind of hit or miss throughout the season. Uh, but then also that defense would just look so bad in the beginning of the year. Uh, I don't think that uh, Fitzpatrick was going to win many shootouts like he would have to uh, for those first uh, six games that we had. Uh, in the in the regular season, so or first uh, first eight games even actually because it's two and six record. So yeah, um, you know we'll, we'll have to see what they end up doing uh, with the quarterback position. So that'll be a question for uh, when the draft is held. I'm sure it'll be uh, mulled over plenty. But more uh, more pressing matters or something that's coming up. Um, you know, actually in just just a week. Uh, just next week is going to be the unveiling of the new 
Washington uh, football team name, their their permanent name. So we're, we're getting rid of Washington football team, and they're going to be named something. Now, there's been a lot of leaks out there. Who knows how credible they are? It's looking like if you believe in the leaks and the talk and everything like that, it's going to be the Washington Commanders. Take with that what you will. We already know it's not going to be Warriors. They took that off the table a while back. Uh, you know, it's not going to be Red Wolves. Uh, because they stated that they couldn't get trademarks, something like that. That was a fan favorite, not happening. So, looks like it's going to be Washington Commanders. I don't know. My personal feelings on it are, I don't really care. Um, it would be nice to have a name again, uh, besides just Washington football team, um, be called something. Do I love Commanders? No. But also, I feel like I'm a little bit... Um, apathetic towards this team, and just it's the Snyder's ownership has made it difficult to be a fan and get excited about this team, uh, especially with their lackluster performance, um, you know, as of late. Uh, so it, we'll, we'll see what it is. Um, you know, will I get some merch? Probably. Uh, I'm not going to be first in line, but uh, whatever the new name is, uh, you know, I'll be I'll be fine with it. Uh, they also need to figure out. They just they just need to they need to figure out a few things. Um, you know, I mean, Snyder's probably going to be around for a while, but they need a new stadium. FedEx Field's terrible. Uh, it, it's basically just a, a joke throughout the NFL or a meme at this point. Uh, just with you know all the issues they have with uh, you know benches not actually warming like they're supposed to, uh, you know water lines breaking over people's heads, railings falling off is it, just is terrible. So we'll have to see where the new stadium is. I will say personally, um, you know I am a Maryland resident, uh, and I don't even really like the fact that uh, FedEx Field is located in Landover, Maryland. Uh, it's not really all that close to a metro stop, and it's not in DC proper. Um, it's probably going to end up having the the new stadium is probably going to end up being in northern virginia somewhere in loudon county or something i'm not excited about that i'm not even gonna really be one of the <laughs> i might go to a game occasional or like eventually but um if it's out in loudon not near metro stop that just severely diminishes my desire to to go to a game uh for me it's pretty much build it on rfk grounds or just whatever. I'm not interested, but we'll see what happens. So, uh, so we'll we'll talk about the name. I'm sure, people have opinions on it. Uh, we'll see what it is. Probably Washington Commanders, but maybe we'll be surprised. But probably not. So, uh, so anyway, that's pretty much it for the Washington football team. They'll they'll figure out their offseason plans. Um, I'm sure, we'll touch on it as free agency opens up. See who they go after, uh, and then talk more about the draft as that approaches. So that is it for the Washington football team. Uh, and next we have the Washington Wizards. So I think the last time, uh, you know, we we did this podcast, uh, the Wizards were starting out uh, their season pretty well. You know, the Washington Wizards started uh, at 10-3. and three. They had a lot of depth. They were playing defense, actually, under Wes Unseld Jr. Uh, it, it, things were looking really good. But since that 10-3 and three record... The Washington Wizards have gone a lowly 13 and 22 cents. They currently sit at a 23 and 25 record. Uh, they just blew a 35 point lead over the LA Clippers uh, the other night. 
and uh, this team, it, that was kind of a wake-up call to, to a lot of people. The fans are starting to check out or really voice their frustrations um, with, with this team. They're not playing defense. They're not playing cohesive uh, basketball. The rotations seem really out of whack. Um, so it's just there's not a whole lot going right with the with the Wizards right now, it's actually kind of surprising that they're still hanging around 500. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that's what they can do is that they can, you know, maybe maintain a 500 record. And I don't know, maybe they make the, the playoffs on that or at least the play in on that. Uh, but it's they don't look like they're that's probably their ceiling. It looks like the, their ceiling's probably a 500 team at best. Uh, and they have some decisions to make. Right. Um, Bradley Beal is on an expiring contract. I know the Wizards have offered him an extension. Uh, it's not the Supermax deal, though, that he's probably looking for from the Wizards. Uh, and, of course, I think he'd probably take that if he got a Supermax deal, uh, which only the Wizards can offer. Nobody else can kind of match that uh, contract offer. So so I, I'm i going to be quite honest. Bradley Beal has, you know, been in, in D.C. for a long time. Um but and he's a great store a scorer we we know what he can do uh he's taken many games over with his scoring ability um you know he's he's been a staple in the dc community for a while um you know he's well known here and he's appreciated for his efforts um but is bradley beal really worth a super max contract I'm not sure that he is. Is he a good basketball player? Absolutely. But is he kind of the key player that we need in DC that we can build around, right? Because so you look at this team, you look at this this you know 2021 to 22 season team, and this is the most depth that the Wizards have had on a team in a long time. Uh, you know, they made the trade, uh, of course, the Westbrook trade, brought over KCP, Kuzma, Harrell, um, and they signed, or they also traded for uh, Holiday, and they signed Dinwiddie, and, you, you know, you had already a bunch of other players on there. Now you got, you know, guys like Hachimura and Bryant back from injury. So the Wizards are now fully healthy. Um, they have everybody there. They have a lot of depth, um, and they're still losing basketball games. And I just... <sighs> I, if if this isn't working, and I, I know it's kind of unfair, it's only one one year, there's a lot of new players on this team, but if you finally have enough depth and you have enough complementary pieces for Beal, more than he's ever had, and the team is still struggling to win games, is that ever going to change? Is having Beal as your number one option and then just trying to have a revolving door of players uh, to be with him, uh, is that is that going to be a recipe for success? You know, we had John Wall and Bradley Beal for a little while, two really good players, uh, you know, and they made the playoffs a couple times. You get p- players like Paul Pierce in his complimentary pieces, and, you know, that, that team was good. Um, and, you know, so, so is it just about adding the right players? Uh, or is it just not really in the cards that if Bradley – Beal is your centerpiece uh, that you can kind of build out a, uh, a contending team uh, with him as a centerpiece on there. I'm not sold. 
Uh, what I'm seeing from Bradley Beal this year is that, you know, he's still scoring at a high rate most games on there. The turnovers are a major issue. He is turning the ball over way too much. I don't know if he's just trying to do too much, but if if you know you have more depth and you have more complementary pieces, even if there's maybe not a clear number two scoring option, certainly not Dinwiddie. Uh, Kyle Kuzma kind of has emerged as that, but you know, would he be the second scoring option on most good teams? Maybe not. Uh, you know, appreciate everything that Kyle Kuzma does, and and he's been you know critical to the Wizards, but you know, maybe he's more forced into a role that he wouldn't be forced into. Um, you know, on on other teams other successful teams around the NBA. So so you kind of are at a crossroads here, right? If Bradley Beal is not worth the extension, do you let him go? Do you do do you trade him? Do you trade Bradley Beal at this trade deadline and try to just go into full rebu- rebuild mode because let's let's face it, if you're trading Bradley Beal, you're punting on the season. I don't care if you keep everybody else but Bradley Beal, you're not going to win very many games um, with how this team is built. Just, you know, they, they kind of lack superstars. They have solid depth pieces, but outside of Beal, there isn't anybody that you, you really trust on this team to, to get you 30, even 40 a night uh, and kind of take over games on there. So you'd definitely be punting and you'd be committing to a rebuild. Uh, but the good news is you wouldn't have any players on super max contracts. You should have, um, you know, a good bit of cap space to, to work with and try to, you know, get a competitive team uh, on the court in, you know, the coming years along with draft picks and everything else like that. So that's an option that you have. Or if you didn't want to punt on this season, you keep Bradley Beal, add a couple players maybe on one-year contracts at the trade deadline, try to bolster this team a little bit and see what happens. But if you're not going to extend him, then he walks for nothing next season. So there really has to be this this thought process and it has to be made, you know, considered is Bradley Beal a long-term solution to this team? Uh, and if he's not, what is the immediate future of Bradley Beal and what is the benefit for this team? So uh, something to consider on there. One thing I will say, though, just talking about the rest of the team and everything on here, you know, besides talking about it, does Brad get uh, extended and does he deserve to be, but just the, the predicament of Spencer Dinwiddie. Now (laughs) I'm getting frustrated with watching Spencer Dinwiddie and that's, that's unfortunate because I've been in his corner, uh, and, and, you know, I've been in his corner and, and tried to stand up for him and his performance all year uh, because I've seen flashes of it, right? Uh, you know, Dinwiddie's had games where he scored 23, 25, 28 points, whatever it may be, um, you know, and looked good and attacked the rim and, and had his shot going. Um, but there's been other games where he settles for just three pointers and shoots 20% uh, and doesn't do anything but really stand around. Uh, the difference a lot of times between those two games when he's really good or really bad is dependent on if Bradley Beal is on the court with him. It does not seem like Beal and Dinwiddie can coexist together. I don't know if it's just there's too much deferral from uh, Dinwiddie where, you know, Beal is the clear number one scoring option. So, like, okay, Beal, go do your thing, and I will, you know, be here 
kind of to to assist or just kind of stand here if if you need an outlet or something but he's not doing much with Beal on the court but when Beal has been either you know when he was out with COVID or when he was out with other family matters or things like that um, Dinwiddie definitely asserted himself more and it showed on the stat sheet and it showed in the win column quite honestly so is there hope that if Beal is no longer on the team. Does Dinwiddie actually can he play better? Can he actually be worth that contract that he signed, uh, that three-year contract he signed with the Wizards this offseason, three or four years? Uh, but I, I just don't know. Um, you know, my my faith isn't completely gone in Dinwiddie, but he looks terrible when he's out there with Beal and he's not giving uh, quality minutes uh, to, you know, to. To this rotation. So something needs to give there. There's been ideas floated of do you keep Dinwiddie on the bench and then just kind of have him come in when Beal comes out? Um, that could be an option, but you'd just like to find a way for for him to be able to to play with Beal like, like John Wall was able to, but John Wall was definitely more of a pure point guard versus Dinwiddie, who's more of a combo guard, and they just have not found a way to coexist together uh, on the court. So it's been frustrating, to say the least, to watch him. Kuzma's been really good. KCP's been okay um, some nights. You know, you got the centers, Gafford and Harold uh, doing their thing, but but more consistently, especially when Beal's on the field, uh, on the court, rather, um, you're, you're seeing a lack of production from Dinwiddie, and that ne- definitely needs to change. So I'm hoping the Wizards can turn it around. They're definitely having a come-to-Jesus moment right now, uh, especially with that terrible loss before. Uh, this is where their season needs – they need to make some changes. They need to start playing better. Uh, so this is either going to derail their season or they're going to make uh, make some changes, even if that is changes before the trade deadline, to kind of help this team out and get back on track. Because uh, they're not out of it, certainly. They're only two games under 500, but this could easily snowball into just a terrible season for them again. Uh, so we will see what happens with the Wizards going forward. Uh, but it's not a very fun time uh, to be a Wizards fan right now. So anyway, that's all I have to say on the Wizards. Sorry if I kind of just went off <laughs> on that for a little while. Uh, it's It's been a frustrating couple days watching them, but... Uh, you know, I'll still watch them, still rooting for them, still have hope for them. Uh, you know, even if it's dwindling, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. So then finally we come to the Washington Capitals. And normally, uh, you know, I, I'd hope in, 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 in years past, you know, even if the Wizards aren't doing well, well, at least we have the Capitals. And not to say that the Capitals are doing terribly, but they are not playing well right now. Uh, they just lost regulation games um, back-to-back for the first time. Uh, and just not looking a whole lot of, it's not looking great for, for the Capitals. Now, how much does that matter? It matters, but when you have the storyline of Ovechkin chasing Gretzky and most goals scored in the NHL, it lessens the pain a little bit more, uh, when they don't play well. You know, I, I see on Twitter a lot that people are saying like, there's a diagram or whatever. It talks about, you know, uh, did the Capitals uh, win? It's like, yes or no. It's like, (laughs) and it's like, you know, they have the arrows that go there. And then it just goes back to one question. Did Ovi score? It's like, if Ovi scored, the Caps won. No matter if they won the game or lost the game, as long as Ovi got at least a goal, then that is a win for the Capitals because, um, you know, we, we all won another Stanley Cup. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter or anything like that, but I think 
all Caps fans and just a lot of hockey fans in general are definitely keeping a close eye on Alexander Ovechkin in his uh, in his pursuit of taking over the goal scored uh, lead from Wayne Gretzky. So where does he sit right now? Well, Ovechkin is currently fourth all time. He has passed a couple of people on the list this season already, and he is sitting only seven goals behind Yarmir Yager. Uh, so that is, you know, to tie Yager, he needs to score seven, eight to pass him for uh, for third all time on this list. That's definitely happening this season. I don't see a season. I don't see any kind of universe where Ovechkin does not pass Yager at some point. Uh, before the end of the season so that is very exciting I'm going to love watching that that's probably where he's going to end this season there's really no way to get up to number two this year Uh, but you know Aveshkin's still going strong he may look uh, a little older may have a lot more gray hairs than we're used to seeing uh, from the early Ovechkin years but he is still has a, a, a hard shot one that just dented goalie's face mask I saw uh, pictures the other day uh, but still has a crazy great shot still still skating really well out there um, and you know just I'm I'm hoping hoping so much that he takes over that that goal scored lead uh, so he's been fun to watch even if the rest of the team's performance uh, hasn't been all that great to watch uh, it, it is great to see Ovechkin now I do think that part of the issue with their performance in general but especially on the power play, because the power play's been terrible. Blaine Forsythe uh, is is coaching his way out of a job uh, if the power play can't turn this around because they've been bad. But it definitely seems like there is a lot of forcing the puck to Ovechkin to score. Now, Ovechkin's your best goal scorer. So do you want to get the puck into his hands as much as possible? Yes. Are they playing like the whole team is actively trying to get him as many goals as possible so that he can get most goals in the NHL? Also, yes. Uh, the team, they're force-feeding him uh, in his office on the power play, but other teams are just putting somebody right in front of him at all times, and he's getting. I'm seeing a lot of blocked shots even before they get to the goalie uh, when on the power play when they're trying to force-feed Ovechkin. Um do I hate it that they're doing that? No, I don't. I mean, this is this is a maybe once in a lifetime, um, you know, opportunity to get a player that's played exclusively for your franchise to have the most in a category, and especially that being goals scored in the NHL. You want to do everything possible to get them that record, and I fully agree with that. However, I do think that that's being a little bit of a deterrent in their performance. Now, the Caps have dealt with injuries all year. Um, you know, currently you have Mantha, who's been out for a while. Oshie's out. Uh, you know, you have guys that come from expen- uh, uh, from suspensions. Um, that you know, they uh, Orlov just served a two-game suspension. Uh, guys out with COVID for a while. Uh, Props to the Hershey Bears and their players. A lot of those guys have had to come in and play uh, many games for the Caps and have actually done really well. Players like, uh, you know, well, McMichael has been with the Caps all season, played pretty well. Uh, Protus has been a nice surprise uh, seeing him come up there. Uh, so, you know, they, they're finding the, the depth and everything like that. So there, there are other 
circumstances surrounding why they are currently sitting at a record of 23 wins, uh, 12 losses, and nine overtime losses. That's not a great score. That's not a great record. That's only good for fourth uh, in the division right now. So they definitely need to uh, figure some things out. But I think that might be part of the problem is just, you know, they're they're trying to get Ovechkin goals maybe a little too much and just other players are just being deferring a little too much uh, rather than actually, uh, you know, playing their game and really contributing 100% uh, to to team, you know, to the Caps wins, um, you know, and trying to get them the, the victories on there. So, so we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Um, you know, Kuznetsov is still playing well. Um, Carlson's playing well. There's there's players that are playing well, and it's not to say that they're a complete train wreck. They should, unless the the bottom really falls out on this, they should um, make the playoffs just fine. Um, but we'll have to see how, how you know how well they do, how far they go uh, when they make the playoffs, if they make the playoffs. Uh, just because this current team and their performance lately has not been been that great. So power play, we definitely need uh, to, to see improvement on there. And then the upcoming uh, trade deadline for the NHL as well. Going to be interesting, interesting to see um, what happens. There's been some rumors circulating. One of them was bringing in Evander Kane. Uh, to, to be a winger uh, for the Capitals. I, I'm not a fan of that move. I don't think that needs to happen. Um, you, you know, you got some you got some younger guys like Protoss and, and McMichael who are contributing to this team, even if they're not perfect. I just don't think that Kane makes you a whole lot of a better team, and he comes with other baggage. So um, I just I would say clear from there. But one trade rumor um, or possibility that's been floated around there, which is interesting and intriguing to me, uh, is that the case of Mark Andre Fleury, who's currently with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, if they can get Fleury, I'm actually a huge fan of that move, uh, simply because both Samsonov and um, Vanacek have had bright spots and have done well, but there just hasn't been a whole lot consistent, a lot of consistency there. Uh, it feels like they have two decent goalies, but not really any one great one. I, I've been a huge fan of Samsonov this year, uh, but he's, you know, lately he's kind of been faltering a little bit more, opening up the door for Vanacek, but it just seems that they always have this back and forth, like, and it's fine to play the, the, the goalie with the hot hand, I don't ever have a problem with that, but it just seems like it just seems like they're they're both kind of performing at a mediocre pace when you look at it overall. It, when you look at the kind of the their whole sample size of the season, they've both kind of played at a mediocre level, not a great level. You know, maybe even borderline good level, but just not not that like dominant. And I think it would help if they had just kind of a clear number one. To, to work with, uh, you know, a goalie that you can really trust in this in net most nights, not just this kind of constant rotation that we're seeing. So getting uh, getting Marc Andre Fleury uh, from Chicago and and having more of that kind of set uh, goalie uh, in net, which we haven't really had since Braden Holpe, um, you know, having that option there, I think would be really beneficial. So I'm interested to see if that move actually comes uh, into into play here. Um, but I would definitely think that uh, goaltender 
even more than defensemen or more than um, wingers right now, even though they've been dealing with injuries on the wing. So I could see them, you know, making a trade for that. But I, I just think goaltender is the bigger priority and something that they need to, to do. So. So anyway, we'll see what happens with that, though. I'm sure uh, we'll be talking on the next episode uh, for the trade deadlines for both the Wizards and the Capitals and see uh, what uh, what takes place uh, with those and kind of break down those moves. So anyway, I have run out of things to talk about. A little bit longer of an episode uh, for this week, but uh, hey, that's what happens when you take a three-month sabbatical uh, and don't do any kind of podcast <laughs> recording. Uh, so... Uh, I appreciate you uh, listening in. Hopefully it was entertaining. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed yourself. Uh, you know, again, feel free to uh, reach out to me on Twitter. I am at DC Sportscast. You can also look me up on Facebook. I am facebook.com forward slash minor league sports town. Uh, so you feel free to look me up on there. And we even have the old email inbox uh, if you feel so compelled to send an email to correspond with the podcast, uh, that is minorleaguesportstown at gmail.com. Uh, so there are plenty of ways to reach out. Please do. Um, I'm on Twitter often, so uh, if you want to talk, uh, you know, you can always comment on anything and also uh, feel free to DM me on, on Twitter. I uh, would love the interaction. Anything that you want to hear on the podcast going forward, any thoughts that you may have, would love to be able to discuss uh, things on, on this podcast that if you're listening to this, uh, things that you may want to hear. Um, you know, I, I would love to be able to gear uh, some of our subjects uh, to that. So anyway, again, thanks for listening. Happy 2022. It's good to be back. We'll talk to you next time.